Sholem Aleichem. Welcome to the Schmooze. I'm Lisa Newman, and today I am visiting with Kurt Leviant. Kurt is the author of 10 critically acclaimed works of fiction. His work is included in Best American Short Stories, Prize Stories, the O. Henry Awards, and other anthologies, and praised by Nobel laureates Saul Bellow and Elie Wiesel. With the publication of his novels into Hebrew and seven European languages, reviewers have hailed his books and compared his imaginative fiction to that of Nabokov, Borges, Pinter, Tolstoy, and Kafka. His recent novels include King of Yiddish and Kafka's Son, which was hailed on French television as a work of genius. But the most memorable praise for Kurt Levian's fiction has come from Chauncey Mabe, book editor of South Florida's Sun Sentinel, who wrote, Kurt Levian is one of the greatest novelists you've never heard of. His serial comic novels, including Diary of an Adulterous Woman, the best novel I've read during the past 10 years, should place him in the company with Joseph Heller or even Saul Bellow. A translator from Yiddish, Kurt Levian has published five volumes of Sholem Aleichem's work, four of Haim Grada, and also one book each by Lamed Shapiro, Avram Risen, Isaac Beshevet Singer, and a volume of fables by Eliezer Shane Barg. He is also editor of the comprehensive anthology Masterpieces of Hebrew Literature, a treasury of 2,000 years of Jewish creativity, and editor and translator of the Hebrew of Yodel Rosenberg, The Golem and the Wondrous Deeds of the Maral of Prague, and his translations have appeared in Pockentrager, the magazine of the Yiddish Book Center. Welcome, Kurt. Thank you. Pleasure to be here. Great to have you with us. Um, it's uh, something I've really been looking forward to having the chance to visit with you. I think uh, it's safe to say that you've had a very uh, prolific career as a writer and a translator to the extent that I had to uh, actually abbreviate the introduction, which I hope you'll forgive me for. Yes, since it's before Pesach, I will do that. Okay, thank you. <laughs> so we first um, spoke with one another many years ago um, because you were working on a translation for Pockentrager. And um, over the years, I've learned more about all of your work. And I'm curious to ask you from the get-go, what drew you to Yiddish um, and your, your work in translation? What drew me to Yiddish just from the very get-go? Well, I was raised, my parents uh, were native Yiddish speakers, and uh, they spoke Yiddish to me, not above me. And so hence, I grew up with Yiddish just as I grew up with English. It was a co-language, let us say. So you have an affinity for it. Absolutely. Um, and indeed, I'm transmitting it to my, all of my kids have learned Yiddish. They've taken Yiddish at the universities, and now the, the third generation is already ready to um, read, write, and speak Yiddish. That's fantastic. They'll have to come here for the Steiner Summer Yiddish Program. Yeah. Um, and you've translated a work of many Yiddish writers, including Lamed Shapiro, which, not being able to read it in the original, um, I've heard it is challenging work. And I wonder why you were drawn to his work in particular. Wonderful question. It so happened I, I discovered Lamed Shapiro on my own. And when I was doing my graduate work in Yiddish, at Columbia University with the beloved Uriel Weinreich, um, I asked him if I could do my master's thesis on Lama Shapiro. And he said, 
wonderful. And so that's what I did. I focused on Lama Shapiro's work. And then after having written the thesis and translated a few short stories, a few of the short stories, I decided uh, I would go further, uh, make a book-length collection, and uh, ultimately I uh, had it accepted for publication. And this, as far as I know, is the only volume of Lama Shapiro's stories in English. Was it hard to select which stories? Mm, I don't think so. I, I, I divided them up into stories of outer conflict and inner conflict. He was one of the few writers who actually faced pogroms squarely and wrote about them, describing the brutality. Whereas in Sholm Aleichem, you would hear somebody quoting somebody else saying that they had heard that there was a pogrom in a certain shtetl, tertiary uh, experience. And he hits violence squarely. Which is, as I understand it, why he is a particularly, I don't want to use the word challenging, but it's not easy reading. It's very real. That's true. But you, you, you could also find uh, uh, a few of his short stories in the uh, classic Treasury of Yiddish Stories that Eliezer Greenberg and Irving Howe edited many years ago. So in preparing for our conversation today, I read a wonderful article that you wrote for the Jewish Review of Books a few years ago, I believe. And it is a piece that both speaks to the challenges of translation, and in it you shared this wonderful story about translating Chaim Grada's work and some of those challenges, as well as this incredible exchange between the two of you. And it's such a nice glimpse into both your work, his work, and the relationship. I wondered if you could share with listeners what that story is. Yes, yes, yes. I liked, I liked Chaim Grada very, very much. I loved him. I, I, he was just a wonderful human being, and he shared my affection. And I think this mutual love, I think, graded on his problematic wife, Ina, uh, she didn't quite like the fact that he liked me so much. In fact, Grada used to come over to my house a long trip from the Bronx to New Jersey, and especially when my parents were visiting, because he also enjoyed speaking uh, with them, you know, the Russian-born native Yiddish speakers. But in any case, when it, I had already translated the Aguna, it was well-received both critically and from the public, and the publisher wanted his masterwork, the two-volume, the Yeshiva. But prior to beginning the translating translation, Chaim said to me, uh, sort of apologetically, he says, you know, somebody, somebody once attempted the first couple of pages, and they made an egregious error. I don't think he used the word egregious, but in any case, they made a very bad mistake, because he was speaking in Yiddish. And I said, what was it? He says, you know, when it came to the phrase, emuna shlema, which means perfect, faith. The man, not knowing Yiddish that well, read the same letters, Shlema, as Shlomo, King Solomon, spelled exactly the same way, except the punctuation is different. And he translated it as the faith of Solomon, which showed that his really his understanding of Yiddishkeit was quite weak. He says, so if you don't mind, he says, you know, translate the first two, three pages, and then, then we can proceed. I said, fine. So what I did was I translated it, and when it came to um, perfect faith in Munashlema, I typed in 
the face of Solomon. And then I wrote that same page with the correct translation, perfect face, in a little, on a piece of paper, which I put in an envelope. I mailed the entire packet to him, and on the outside of the little envelope, I said, Chaim, please don't open this until I speak to you. Well, he reads it, he calls me back, and he says, <laughs> Colt, Colt, he says, that's how he calls me, Colt, in his gravelly voice, Colt, uh, they are shame, you did a nice job, he says, except, you know, he says, when, when it came to a certain phrase, the, the Emunah Shlemi says, you, you, you made the same mistake that the other man made you, you wrote the faith of Solomon. I said, Chaim, I said, did you open up the envelope? He says, why should I open the envelope? You told me not to open the envelope until I speak to you. I says, okay, open it up. He opens up the envelope. I hear him cackling, laughing, and he comes back to me on the phone. He says, du bandit, you bandit, you rascal. He says, you really tricked me. You really fooled me. Then everything went smoothly. It was, it was a, I mean, it, this is a masterwork, the yeshiva in two volumes. And again, it was, wonderfully received by the public, and it stands uh, in English now as one of the great works of modern Yiddish literature. Well, you've certainly translated a lot of interesting work. It, were there any other writers that you had a relationship with? Were any of them living when you uh, translated? No, no. So Grotto was the only one. Omelech, unfortunately, yeah. died, not in my presence, but he right. died uh, a number of years before I was born. And actually, no, yeah, the only, yeah, well, no, not really. I, I, I think of Bashev a singer whom I had known and I had spoken with, but he had never asked me to translate his work. But after he died, Farah Strauss asked me to translate the second volume of his memoirs. The first one was called Stories for My Father's Court, for my Tatan's based in, because the father was a small-time judge whom people would come to for judgments, couples, business people who would come into the apartment, and he was a rabbi. His father, Abba Singer's father was a rabbi and a judge, a dayan. Uh, and he had a second volume, which they called More Stories from My Father's Court, and I translated that with, with great pleasure, also a marvelous work. And before, I think, yeah, I think go ahead. listeners should know that there is this terrific Yiddish fabulous uh, in the tradition of La Fontaine, and with the good humor of Agden Nash, the Eliezer Steinberg fables. That's a marvelous work, and I hardly recommend that to people who are interested in broadening their knowledge of, of uh, Yiddish literature. And before I go on to ask you about your works in English, um, not that the works in translation aren't in English, <laughs> but your novels in I English. Try, try yeah. to make them as English as possible, yeah. Um, I wondered if you could just give uh, a little consideration to um, what you think the challenges are for translators and how an understanding of, you know, the culture as well plays into good translation. The first and foremost challenge a Yiddish translator has, and he has to master, and if he doesn't master it, he should not attempt it, is to have a thoroughgoing understanding of Yiddishkeit. In other words, Yiddish is not only a language, but it is the culture, it's the religion, it's the history. 
And if you don't know Yiddishkeit, then you, it's very, very difficult to translate uh, properly. And that's why the man who may have known Yiddish, the anonymous translator of the first couple of pages of Gadadah's the Yeshiva, when he reads um, Emuna and then Shin Lamed Mem Hey, he reads as Shlomo, the, the king, rather than the noted Yiddish phrase, perfect faith, Emuna Shlema. So this, this guy probably did not know Yiddishkeit well enough, although he might have even been a um, fluent, fluent speaker of, of the language. Uh, knowledge of Hebrew also doesn't hurt. Don't forget uh, Yiddish has between 18 and 20 percent Hebrew in it. Uh, when Chaim Grada's rabbis gather in a small town in a little vacation resort, their Yiddish is probably 50 or 60 percent Hebrew because they're doing a lot of quoting from from the chapters of the fathers, from the Siddur, from the from the uh, Tanakh, from the Bible, from the Talmud and Mishnah and so forth. So. Knowledge of Hebrew, knowledge of Yiddishkeit, and of course, knowledge of the language, period. Now, moving on in the introduction, I mentioned your two most recent novels, Kafka's Son and King of Yiddish. Um, first, Kafka's Son. I know um, it garnered a lot of very well-deserved praise, including this wonderful line I want to share from the French reviewer from Lear wrote. As to whether Kafka had an heir, the answer is obvious. His name is Kurt Levian. And I think that gives a little bit of the construct of the book away, but I wondered if you could just share a bit about this um, without a spoiler alert being needed for our listeners. I had gone to Prague. I had visited Prague. And, I mean, the influence of, of Kafka was, was all over the place. I'd gone to the to the, the, the Alt-Neuschul, the great synagogue that's almost 1,000 years old. And having loved Kafka's works since I was a teenager, it dawned on me that it would be an interesting challenge to write a novel called Kafka's Son and, and lure the reader into this magic world of Kafka, which is partially real and partially fantasized. Uh, it, it would be very hard for me to summarize it without giving away some of the surprises. But um, there are lots of fascinating people whom you meet, including one person who actually claims to be Kafka's son, an, an older man, uh, whom, of course, I never met except in my own imagination. Um, thanks for sharing that uh, French review. Uh, another thing you might not know is that this book came out first in French translation. My French publisher, having had great success with Diary of an Adulterous Woman um, in France, it had become a bestseller in France and other countries in Europe, he wanted some more of my work, and I told him I have this novel and manuscript. He says, just let me read it. He read it, he loved it, and then it took me seven years in the United States before I found an American publisher, despite the rave reviews. Wow. It's it's a great read. It really is. I mean, it just takes you on a journey. Mm-hmm. Um, and then quickly... Oh, round trip journey. Round trip journey. <laughs> yes. And it also sent me in pursuit of a lot of sort of background information about Kafka. Um, but that's a whole other story. Um, and then King of Yiddish 
Can you give a very quick sort of synopsis? Because your books aren't easy to, for me to sort of, um, yeah, put into that quick synopsis. King of Yiddish is about a professor of Yiddish at one of the famous universities in Jerusalem, not the Hebrew University, but its rival, the University of Israel. And he is the head of the Yiddish department there. Um, his problem is that he is a child survivor of the Holocaust. He had escaped to Russia, and he comes back to his hometown of Kielce on July 4th, 1946, a year and two months after the war has ended, and he is the witness to that notorious Kielce pogrom. July 4th, 1946, where he stands in the edge of the woods, and he sees what's happening, and he has not had a chance to come really back home, and he sees his father and his uncle murdered, and he sees the brute who killed them, and he resolves that he will try to find the murderer. So this, once he's a professor of Yiddish at the university, he takes frequent trips back to Poland trying to hunt down the murderer. That's why one of the reviewers called it a detective story. At the same time, his wife of many years dies, and he marries a young, um, well-shaped, beautiful Polish shiksa. And um, the relationship between Professor Gaffney and his new wife and his, the detective story is what propels the novel forward. And there are some slightly uh, absurdist, as usual in my novels, mm -hmm. scenes, yes. including um, a meeting of a minion of 10 Jews in a little synagogue in Warsaw, whom Gaffney, Professor Gaffney discovers, um, do not die. So these are the 10 immortals. With all these uh, strewn facts gathered together and straight about, um, go and pick up the novel and find out what happens for yourself. I, yeah, as a writer, I think um, you do this incredible job of weaving together fact, fiction, history, tradition, and imagination. Um, you're a great storyteller makes me a good translator, because if I don't know a word, I'll just make it up. <laughs> and now we know who's going to argue with you, right? <laughs> That's correct. What are you working on now? Um, I'm working on a novel that is set in Italy, but since it is not fully completed, I hesitate to discuss what it is all about, but I assure you that whoever reads it will be getting the surprise of his life. Excellent. Well, thank you for joining me. I uh, thank you Pleasure. for your work in translation in English and all of the other languages. And uh, I look forward to some more conversations and reading more of your work. And you'll come visit us sometime at the Yiddish Book Center sometime soon? Of course. That would be lovely. And again, the two recent books are um, available 
they're they're available at our bookstore, a few of them, and as well on Amazon. And they are King of Yiddish and Kafka's Son. Again, thanks for joining us. Take care. You've been listening to The Schmooze, a production of the Yiddish Book Center in Amherst, Massachusetts. To learn more about this podcast and to subscribe, visit our website, yiddishbookcenter.org. This episode is produced by me, Alexa Sewing. And until next time, be well and be healthy.